welcome back to the Entertainment Inquisition. I'm your host, Allison Steinkamp, and I know it's been a while, but I am super pumped about this new season. We're going to be diving into some really awesome movies and discovering the truth and lies in each one. Also, I'm going to be featuring some very special guests this season. I was recently a guest on the Armor of Light podcast hosted by my friends Brady, James, and Jared, and we discussed the question, what is the Christian story? We dove into conversations about movies like The Lord of the Rings, Shrek, Joker, and Star Wars, and I had a blast. They're going to be featured in an episode later this season about the movie Father Stew. If you want to listen to the episode on their podcast, the link is going to be in the description. Now, on to the topic at hand, The Da Vinci Code. Honestly, this movie was one of the main reasons I got into research on religion and pop culture. It is a hot mess of a movie and has so many controversial claims. The reason this season took so long to come out was because I was afraid of even trying to tackle it, but here we are. It's going to be a wild ride, so buckle up. Also, funny story, I recorded this whole episode yesterday, but found out at the end that my microphone was not picking up anything, so here I am recording this episode again for the second time. So it'll be even better this time. First, I just want to give a brief, or as brief as I can, overview of the movie. We start out with an old man running through the Louvre. He's pursued by a hooded figure, a monk named Silas. The man is revealed to be Jacques Saunier, and Silas asks him for the location of the keystone before killing him. After I watched this movie for the first time, I was freaked out that this monk was going to break into my room and kill me for, like, weeks. Anyway, at the same time, Robert Langdon, played by the great Tom Hanks, is giving a talk on the sacred feminine before he is picked up by French police to check out the crime scene where Saunier was killed. Quick side tangent, the main detective is the same guy who was holding the rope for Tom Cruise in the first Mission Impossible movie when he's stealing the information from Langley and he's like suspended from the roof. All I can think about when I see him in any other movies is the part where the rat is coming closer to him in the vent. And if you know what I'm talking about, you will never be able to see him in another movie without thinking about that part. Moving on. Saunier had painted an image on his body and on the floor next to him with his blood before he died. The writing made the French police believe that Langdon had killed Saunier and they were trying to find more evidence to arrest him. At the same time all of this is happening, Silas calls a mysterious man named the Teacher and says that all the protectors of the Grail had confirmed the same location before he killed them. The keystone is supposedly under the sacristy in the Church of St. Sulpice. I think it's pronounced Sulpice. Either way. This church is in Paris. After some pretty intense self-flagellation, Silas heads over to the church, breaks the floor open, and after finding a fake clue, brutally murders a pretty nice nun. Sophie Nauvoo shows up at the Louvre and secretly tells Langdon that he is in danger. They fake his escape, which sends the police on a wild goose chase to find him in the city while he remains at the museum and figures out the clues to find the fleur-de-lis. It is also revealed that Sophie is Jacques Saunier's granddaughter. The two escape and make it to the Depository Bank of Zurich, because the key they found was to a safety deposit box there. Inside the box, they find a crypt text and narrowly avoid the police on their way out of the city. The two go and visit Langdon's friend Lee Teabean, who is also Gandalf, to find a way to open the crypt text. Now, here is where the main theme of the story comes to light. Teabean explains his theory behind the Holy Grail. He does not believe it is a cup, he believes it is a person who holds the Holy Blood. 
Teabing claims that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were married and Mary was pregnant at the time of the crucifixion. A secret society, the Priory of Sion, became responsible for guarding Mary and her offspring for generations. The Knights Templar were the military arm of the Priory and the treasure they guarded was her sarcophagus. Teabing goes on to claim that Opus Dei, a zealous group of conservative Catholics, were responsible for killing the Knights Templar and they currently track down the living relatives of Jesus and kill them. It might be a good time to point out that Silas is following the guide of an Opus Dei bishop, played by Doc Ock from the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. Teabing believed that Saunier was the grandmaster of the Priory, and he was training Sophie to join the group also. They get interrupted when Silas breaks into the mansion, and they figure out that the French police are outside. The group escapes on Teabing's jet, and they head over to London. The French detective is asked by a friend why he is so over-the-top about arresting Langdon. He says that a priest broke his vows to the seal of confession and told him that Robert Langdon came to him and confessed that he killed someone and plans to do it again. He feels like he would be failing God if he did not catch him. Quick note, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1467, the Church declares that every priest who hears confessions is bound under very severe penalties to keep absolute secrecy regarding the sins that his penitents have confessed to him. He can make no use of the knowledge that confession gives him about penitents' lives. This secret, which admits of no exceptions, is called the sacramental seal because what the penitent has made known to the priest remains sealed by the sacrament. So that's why it's really crazy that this priest broke the seal, and this is also what it means when the church references the seal of confession. Now back to the movie. While the group is in London, Silas breaks free, and T-Bean's butler is revealed to be the teacher. They take T-Bean with them, and Sophie and Robert barely escape. They figure out a clue, which takes them to Sir Isaac Newton's tomb in Westminster Abbey. The butler sends Silas to an Opus Dei house, and it is revealed that the butler is actually just an actor for the teacher, and the teacher poisons him to cut all loose ends. Silas is killed at the house by the police and accidentally shoots his beloved bishop while trying to defend himself. This bishop is revealed to be the man who lied to the police detective, and he is arrested on his way to the hospital. Sophie and Robert are confronted by T-Bean in Sir Isaac Newton's tomb, and he reveals that he is the teacher. Plot twist, but not really. We all saw it coming. He wanted to enact this great plan to prove that he was right about Mary Magdalene. He threatens to shoot Sophie if Robert can't figure out the clue, but Robert throws the cryptex to T-Bean, who drops it, and the vinegar breaks inside, destroying the message. After T-Bean is arrested by the French police, Robert reveals that he found the clue before throwing it to T-Bean, and it leads them to the Rosslyn Church in Scotland. While they are there, they find all kinds of information that the priory has left, but an empty space where the sarcophagus would have been. They also find information that reveals that Sophie is actually a descendant of Mary Magdalene and is the Holy Grail. A bunch of people show up, and they reveal that they are going to protect her. Robert heads back to Paris, and while shaving, has a revelation about the Rose Line, which is where a lot of the Grail clues happen to be, including the Church of St. Sulpice and the Rosslyn Chapel. The Rose Line also runs directly through the Louvre, and Langdon believes that Mary Magdalene is resting beneath the glass pyramid in the Louvre. Okay, so that was a lot. If you want to know all the details, you'll have to watch the movie, because we would be here for hours if I tried to describe all the intricacies of the movie. So, where should we start first? I'm thinking it might be good to get some background on the whole story. If you didn't know, this movie was originally a book written by Dan Brown. He made claims that all of it was based on historical research, and I think that he thought he was actually writing the truth. 
and some people reading the book also thought that he was writing truth. There was a survey done before the release of the film in the United Kingdom, and it was shown that 64% of readers thought that there was some truth to the claim that Jesus and Mary Magdalene had children, compared to 30% of non-readers. Which is so wild to me. But the question I really have is why did Dan Brown write the book in the first place? Many believe it had nothing really to do with the story, considering the fact that the myth of Jesus and Mary Magdalene's marriage had already been around for years and years. This is not a revolutionary idea. Many feminist groups in the 19th century already made claims to this. So what was it? Carl E. Olson, in his book The Da Vinci Hoax, claims that this story has less to do with the origins of Christianity and more to do with New Age religiosity. He claims that this book, and therefore movie, invites people to make up their own religious history and replace tradition with scriptures that cater to present-day issues such as feminism. Overall, Olson's claim is that Dan Brown wrote the book in order to show the power of feminism. After reading a lot of Olson's argument, I think I can see where he's coming from. Brown claimed before the book came out that nuns in particular are exceptionally excited about the strong feminist message of the book. I don't know which nuns he's talking to, but all the ones I've met would not be excited at all about a book that claimed Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene and the Holy Grail is alive and walking around today. There are also a lot of other issues with the book that I don't think nuns would agree with, or any Catholic who understands the theological fallacies behind his writing. Let's just do a complete 180, and we're going to talk about the Priory of Sion. Contrary to what you may think, the Priory is not exactly real, or at least real in the way that Dan Brown portrayed them. Basically, there was this priest in France whose last name was Saunier, and he began to accumulate a lot of wealth as a priest, which is not really common because priests don't make a lot of money. He was accused of trafficking masses, which I understand to mean that he encouraged people to come to his church and donate to him in order for him to celebrate masses for deceased relatives. Basically, he was selling mass intentions. He was also accused of an affair with a female parishioner, and he was stripped of his duties because he refused to leave the church he was at. In 1956, Pierre Plantard ran with the idea and claimed this priest had found a great deal of treasure beneath the church, including the Grail documents. Plantard also said that Jesus and Mary Magdalene moved to France instead of Jesus ascending into heaven, and that is where all of Jesus' descendants would have been from. He formed the Priory of Sion, but claimed that it had been around since the time of Christ, and appointed himself as the Grand Master to protect the Holy Blood. So, kind of crazy. But we can see that Brown's use of the Priory in his story is false. However, many real organizations, such as the Knights Templar and Opus Dei, were used in the story and were twisted to fit the author's needs. First, we'll jump into who the Knights Templar are. Originally, they were a large group of devout Catholics who protected travelers to the Holy Land and helped with military expeditions like the Crusades. In 1129, they received a formal endorsement from the church and gained the support of Bernard of Clairvaux, a French monk. The members would take vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience, similar to religious orders in the Catholic Church. Prayer was an important part of their day, and they had a special devotion to the Virgin Mary. However, on Friday, October 13, 1307, a great amount of the knights were arrested and brutally tortured until they confessed to false charges and were killed. Eventually, the church recognized that the treatment of the knights was unjustified. Yeah, not exactly fun to be a Templar knight. There are claims that there was a Templar treasure, and while Dan Brown makes an interesting argument to say that the treasure was Mary Magdalene's sarcophagus, 
I think the Templar treasure from the first National Treasure movie that Nick Cage finds underneath Trinity Church in New York City is way cooler and much more believable. Alright, next up, and I know these transitions are horrible, but we're just going to jump into talking about Opus Dei. No, Opus Dei does not go around killing people to keep the Holy Grail hidden. Opus Dei was founded by St. Jose Maria Escriva in 1928, and their mission is to spread the message that everyone is called to holiness and every honest work can be sanctified. They base their life on knowing that they are children of God, finding God in everyday things and work, having dialogue with God and putting the needs of others before their own, and striving to live out their faith in every aspect of their lives. Opus Dei is not like a different kind of Catholicism, but a personal prelature in the church. That essentially means that they are still part of their local parish and diocese, and they follow their bishop, but they live out these ideals in their personal life and meet with other Opus Dei members outside of other church activities. Okay, one more really awkward transition, but I know what you're wondering, because I was wondering it when I watched the movie, is the rose line a real thing? And the answer is unfortunately yes and no. Dan Brown's rose line is based on the Paris meridian, a line that was used to show that Paris was the center of the world until apparently the center of the world was just moved to Greenwich in 1884. Brown claims that the rose is a symbol of the grail, so it would make sense that he would call this fictitious line the rose line if it was supposed to lead to the grail. The Church of St. Sulpice is very much a real place, but the Paris meridian does not run through it, nor does it run through the Louvre. Additionally, I thought that because the rose line was not real, the Rosslyn Church at the end of the movie would not be real because it was supposed to be the origin of the rose line, but it is actually a real church. I think that Dan Brown just looked for the church whose name was closest to Rose Line and went with it. However, on the church's website, they shut down any rumors that the Holy Grail is present at Rosslyn Church. Okay, so I did not get to tackle anywhere near the amount I wanted to with this movie. There are so many other parts that could have been talked about. Maybe I'll come back to it in the future and I'll do a part two. But for now, thank you for listening and I'll see you next week on the Entertainment Inquisition. Bye!